How many of you have heard of the saying, first world problems? How many people know that? Everybody? Maybe not quite everyone. Most, most everyone has heard it. Well, there's a the definition of this phrase, first world problems, um, from dictionary.com is this. A fairly minor problem, frustrating situation, or complaint associated with a relatively high standard of living as, as opposed to the more serious problems associated with po- poverty. So in other words, calling something a first world problem is making a contrast between, okay, I'm living in this situation with this high standard of living, but it's really a first world problem because I know there's other people in the developing world or the third world that their countries aren't as far along as ours, that they're in a much worse situation. So for instance, uh, we may complain about how often we need to take our car for an oil change. Well, it just seems like every other week I'm having to take this car in or whatever. And, but then someone might say to us, well, first world problems, because you, the fact that you have a car is something far beyond what a lot of other people have. They have to walk you know, miles just to get water. Or we might complain about the speed of service at a restaurant. We're not getting our food exactly as we want it. And then we might say to ourselves, well, first world problems, because there's some people who aren't even getting any food for their day, or they're getting, you know, just drinking like black tea or a couple chunks of rice. And we're saying, uh, oh, well, this person who is making my food for me and then bringing it out to me so I don't even have to, you know, get up, um, that's really a first world problem because many people are struggling to find food themselves. It's a first world problem. And this phrase points us to um, the privileges we have in our life and also points to the reality that we often can take them for granted is that we can have this very high standard of living, you know, having cars and a lawn to mow and, you know, we might even complain like, oh, I have to mow this, you know, every week. And it's like, well, a lot of people don't even have any sort of land to call their own. And we tend to drift into ingratitude and entitlement as human beings. And we can do the same thing with our relationships as well. We can start to drift into taking someone for granted or just having a lot of ingratitude or feeling very entitled in our relationships and start to take um, (coughs) seeing just the flaws and annoying things in somebody instead of uh, enjoying them. So we have this drift in our hearts towards ingratitude and taking things for granted and entitlement. And today, as I said, we're beginning a series called Bad News, Good News. And sometimes people might ask us, well, do you want to hear the bad news first or the good news first? And what we're going to be doing in this series is looking at, um, it's just going to be three weeks, and each week we're going to look at one verse that includes both the bad news and the good news. It includes the bad news of what's true without Christ and the good news of what's true with Christ in our lives. And I want to do this series for two reasons. The one is... Um, for us, uh, that we would, um, as David said, and as I prayed in the beginning, that we would have God restore to us the joy of our salvation. It's very easy to start taking for granted God being in our lives, Christ being in our lives. It's very easy to start feeling entitled uh, and having ingratitude towards God. And so I hope um, my prayer for this series is that we would go from uh, entitlement and ingratitude and taking uh, for granted to thanksgiving and joy, to really feel the goodness of the good news of Jesus Christ. Like This has come into my life, and it's changed things. And the second reason is that I want us to feel excited to share this good news with others. Uh, by hearing the bad news, we will hear the condition of people who don't yet know Jesus. We'll be reminded of where they're at without Christ, the condition of loved ones, 
family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, waitresses, baristas, cashiers, anybody we walk past who is without Christ, we're going to hear their condition. That's the bad news. And we, I want us that, that my hope is that we would be filled with compassion for their situation and that we would have confidence and courage to be sharing the gospel because we do really have good news for them. And so the messages in this series are all going to have a very simple outline. First, the bad news for uh, everyone and the good news for us who have trusted in Christ. And then secondly, the bad news and the good news for people who don't yet know Jesus. So first we'll be kind of focusing on ourselves, bad news and good news for us, and then we'll be focusing on other people in our lives. And, then, and so today, as I mentioned, the verse that we're looking at um, is Romans 6.23, the very last verse I read um, in, in our second scripture reading. So let's get started in this verse with the bad news for us. In order for us to be thankful for where we are, we have to constantly be looking up at the rearview mirror to see where have we been, where have we come from, where has God taken us out of. And if we forget what God has done in our lives in the past, it'll bring us in the present and you know, every day to come we'll have ingratitude, entitlement, and we'll be taking it for granted. We will f- we'll have the false thinking of saying, I got myself here, I changed my life, I figured it out and thinking that God didn't have any part of it. And when we have this mentality, we become unthankful. And Romans 6.23 is a succinct uh, and clear summary of what Paul's been saying since chapter 5, verse 12. Um, Heather read that, 12-21 to us. And this, what he says in uh, verse 23 of chapter 6 is just saying, okay, this is the bad news and the good news I've, talking, I've been talking about. And the bad news, he says is the wages of sin is death. And so what does that actually mean? Well, we, we know what wages are. You can earn minimum wage, you can earn above minimum wage, and wage is talking about what we get paid, um, what somebody pays us for doing something. It's compensation, it's payment, it's a, pay, a paycheck we get. And in this case, uh, wage was specifically, this word was specifically associated with the wage a soldier would earn um, for serving in the army. And Luke, we saw in Luke chapter 3, verse 14, the, the soldiers are coming to John the Baptist and they're asking, well, what shall we do? What should we do if we want to respond to what you're saying? And he tells them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. Same word. So this is about compensation and pay. And in this case, who is paying us the wage? Who's paying it out? Who's like the employer? Who's the master? And it says the wage of sin is death. And so sin is paying us our wage. We're getting wages from sin. And what, how does sin compensate us? What are the, what's the currency that sin gives us? And it says the wages of sin is death. And the image here is making sin our employer, our master. And the paycheck that sin gives us is a paycheck of death. That's how we're compensated from sin. That's what we earn. And Paul's been making this point from chapter 5, verse 12. And his basic argument in chapter 5, verses 12 to 21, is this. Adam brought sin, condemnation, and death into the world. So I'll write that up here. We'll have these two sides that are being compared in chapter 5. So you have Adam, first man created. You have sin, condemnation, got a letter, and death. And then he contrasts that with Jesus Christ. What has Christ brought into the world? He says Christ has brought righteousness, 
justification, which we'll get to the definition of that later, and life. Oh, I was going to write this in green so it would be a nice contrast, but here you go. You, you guys get it. This is the bad side, that's the good side of it. And he's making this contrast throughout chapter 5, verse 12 through 20, and he keeps contrasting both. What is Adam brought into the world? And what is Christ brought into the world? Or what is God brought into the world to overcome uh, what Adam brought into the world through Christ? But Paul, he's not, you know, this story doesn't start in chapter 5, verse 12. It goes all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. In chapters 1 and 2 of Genesis, God creates this good world. It doesn't have sin or brokenness in it. And it's unstained by selfishness, evil pride, jealousy, violence, oppression, and wickedness. But if the world started this way, without all those things, how did it get the way it is now that we see a world stained by sin, a world filled with all these things, sin, selfishness, evil, pride, jealousy, and so forth? Why are we filled with these things? Why is our world filled with these things if God didn't create it this way? And we just need to turn to chapter, Genesis chapter 3 to find that out. Because in Genesis chapter 3, the first humans, Adam and Eve, that God created, are approached by uh, an agent of evil coming in the form of a serpent. And through deception and doubt, this snake entices Adam and Eve to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we may ask, well, okay, what's up with this tree? And we'll get to that in a minute. And the snake lies to them about the consequences of eating from this tree. And he uses deception to get them to start doubting God's character. Maybe God's holding out on us. Maybe he doesn't really have our best interests in mind. Maybe he's not really doing what's best for us. And once they start doubting what God has said and doubting his character, this leads to a desire to do what God has forbidden. And they believe the lie that true fulfillment, true happiness, true satisfaction, true freedom, and true joy is found outside of the boundaries and limitations God has given them. This is where God says you can be, you can eat any tree in this garden, just not that one. And the serpent gets them to believe we have to step outside of God's boundaries and limits to find all those things that we long for. And so they eat from the tree. So what's up with this tree? Whether there was a physical tree or not, um, the point of the tree is to tell Adam and Eve, a constant reminder to tell them, you are not in charge. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that is telling them that you aren't the ones who define good and evil. You aren't the ones who define good and bad. You aren't the ones who define right and wrong. God defines that. And if you, eating from that tree is symbolic of saying, you know what? We want to be in charge. We want to define good and evil, right and wrong, on our own terms. We want to be the ones that determine that. And so to eat from this tree would be to reject God's lordship over them, his authority. It would be telling God, we don't want you in charge anymore. We want to be in charge. And in that moment, with the serpent, they thought we could do a better job of running the universe than God. We could do a better job of defining right and wrong than God can do. And we may think, well, that seems you know, really prideful, but don't we do the same thing in our lives, defining right and wrong on our own terms at times? Even if we know what God has said, We'll think, I need to step outside of God's boundaries and limits for me to get true joy, true happiness, true peace, true satisfaction. And God clearly told them the consequences of this choice. He said it would be death. He said, the day you eat from this tree, you will surely die. And if they don't want God in charge, it means you're choosing death. If you're going to eat from this tree, you've chosen your fate. After they eat from the tree... They cover themselves up in shame. They were naked and not ashamed, but then they cover themselves up. They hide from each other. They hide from God. Even before God takes any action, 
there's already separation between each other and separation between them and God. They're hiding from each other. They're hiding from God. And when God questions them about what happened, they play the blame game. The man, Adam, says, it was her fault, and it's kind of your fault too, because you gave her to me. And then the woman says, it was the serpent's fault. And so they're playing the blame game, and I'm sure you've experienced this in your life. It's a very familiar scene, us hiding from each other, us blaming other people, us hiding from God, separating from each other, having this tension. And then God tells them, what you've done has brought difficulty and hardship into your life in my universe, on this planet. And he sends them out of the garden that he had made for them. He separates them from his life-giving presence. And so we might be like, well, that's kind of weird. He said they would surely die, but they didn't drop dead on the spot. What's, what's going on here? They get to walk out of the garden and, and not die? Not, not physically, at least. But you can see that eating from the fruit of this tree did kill something. It did bring death in, into their life. They, their uh, relationship with God was put to death. Their intimacy with him, their intimacy with each other was put to death. It was um, killed by their choice. God sends them out of his life-giving presence. And since then, since that moment, humanity has experienced death on two levels. Our physical death, which there's, you know, we temporarily live, but then we die. But also our constant spiritual death. And Ephesians 2.1 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, which is referring to Satan, the serpent in Genesis 3. We're separated from God. We're alienated from God. We're estranged from God. And there's a distance between us, a relational distance. And Adam is the one who caused us. The representative of all humanity decided he didn't want God in charge. So we come back to Romans 5, 12 through 21. And these verses, what are they saying? It's saying every human being on the planet is born as a son or daughter of Adam. You know, he's a great, 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 great grandfather kind of thing. And it's like every human is descended from Adam. So that means every human being is born with the same corrupted nature as Adam. And our statement of faith in Article 3 says that we are born as sinners by nature and by choice. It's part of us. We have this corrupted, broken nature that uh, Adam passed down to us as the very first human being. But we're not just like, oh, I'm just broken on the inside. We're broken on the outside. We are sinners by nature and by choice. Every human being is, broke, is born with a broken nature and a broken relationship with God. And every human being will introduce brokenness into their relationships, every relationship they have. We're born in Adam, meaning we're united with him, so what's true of him is true of us. And so we see these things, sin, condemnation, death. We are born in Adam. We're born as part of Adam's humanity, so we have sin, condemnation, and death. And in the letter to the church in Rome, Paul's describing what this means for each of us. It means each of us is a sinner. We've sinned. Each of us is standing before a holy God condemned, guilty. And each of us is deserving of death. We deserve separation from God. That is what we've earned. It means each of us can confess what the Book of Common Prayer says. And if you've ever been in a... Uh, I know Lutheran church services will read this confession. I'm not sure if Catholic would do or not, but if you've, you know, these may, words may sound familiar. Most merciful God, we confess that we've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. The wages of sin is death. That's the, the bad news. But the good news is that God has made a way for us to be free from the penalty 
of our sin. We can be transferred out of this kingdom of death. We can be transferred into a new kingdom, the kingdom of Christ, from this humanity into the new humanity that Jesus has begun. It's made possible through Jesus. And this, this occurrence, this action, is referred to as the free gift. Romans 5.12 says, Just as sin came into the world through one man, and then death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. That one man is Adam. Then we go back to Romans 3.23 and we hear the same thing. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But then it goes on in verse 24. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God uh, and are justified by His grace as a gift. How? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 5 is explaining where the sin we're all infected with comes from. Is explaining how we've gotten into this mess. How are we sinful? How are we condemned? How are we um, dying and, and dead? But it also explains the free gift God has given us. And it proclaims to us how God has overcome sin and death and condemnation on our behalf through Jesus Christ. And so, okay, where does this gift come from? Where does it come from? Well, the free gift comes by the grace of God, which means it's undeserved and it's unearned. And what is the free gift? The free gift is justification. And so we have this the word here. Justification is if you're in a uh, in a law court, this is a legal term, if you're in a law court and you and you've done something wrong, or people think you've done something wrong, you can either be condemned, which means to be declared guilty, or you can be justified to be declared righteous or innocent. That was the word they used in that day. It's like, okay, you're coming with your case before the judge and I either condemn you or I justify you. Like, you didn't do this, you're justified, you're guilty, you're righteous, you're innocent. Um, I said guilty, you're not guilty, you're righteous, you are innocent. Or you can be condemned, you're guilty, and now you'll get the proper punishment for that. So we are declared righteous, not because of anything we've done, but because God has given it to us. We actually walk into God's law court and we are fully guilty and God knows we're guilty. He knows all of it. It's not like we're going to have a good defense lawyer and they're going to somehow you know, find, wiggle us out of it by saying, you know, the police did this, they did it wrong, and oh, you know, the whatever did this wrong. There's no way we can get out of it. God knows it all. So we should be condemned, declared guilty. But God declares us to be innocent. He declares the guilty to be innocent. And we ask, how can this be? It's because Jesus died as our representative and our substitute. Just like Adam was our representative who brought sin, condemnation, and death into this world, Jesus becomes our new representative. He's saying, I'm going to bring you righteousness, justification, I'm going to bring you life, and I'm going to, actually, how I'm going to do it is I'm going to die in your place. The penalty you deserve for what you've done, all these things, even though I've done none of them, is that I'm going to stand in your place as your substitute. I'm going to take that penalty on your behalf. And what's, what's the result? It's the free gift of righteousness allows those who receive it to enter eternal life. When we receive God's free gift, we're no longer in Adam, but we're now in Christ. We're under the humanity that he is beginning, and we're united with him. So what's true of him becomes true of us. Even though we are guilty, we get his righteousness. Even though we deserve death, we get his life, and now he, we are in Christ. And so this brings us back to Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death. The result of Adam's sin brought death and condemnation to all. 
but God graciously provides the free gift of justification leading to eternal life in and through Jesus Christ. We may ask, well, what is eternal life? What, is that, what does that mean? And it's returning to how things were meant to be, relationship with God. When Adam and Eve uh, died in Genesis 3, what sort of death was it? They didn't drop dead on the spot, but what happened was they were separated from God. They were sent out of the Garden of Eden, which is where God's presence was, and now that they're alienated, estranged, and exiled from God. And so that, if that's what death is, then eternal life is coming back into relationship with God, coming back into closeness with God, coming back into intimacy with God, no longer estranged, exiled, or separated. And Jesus says... John 17.3 gives us a definition. And it's maybe different than the definition of eternal life than we think of. Because we might think eternal life means, okay, that's life that lasts into eternity. Eternal is about uh, how it's just never ending. And so, okay, eternal life is after I die, then I enter eternity. And eternal life is just me living on forever. But Jesus says in 17, John 17.3, he, he says, I've been given authority to give eternal life to all whom God has given me. And then he defines eternal life. He says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So eternal life is knowing God and knowing Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. So eternal life, that would mean it doesn't start when we die. It starts as soon as we come into relationship with God, as soon as we know Jesus Christ. And so if you're believing, if you're trusting Jesus Christ, knowing him, you have eternal life right now. We've entered back into life that is unending because the life God has is unending. He brings us into that. So as opposed to death that we earn as a wage from sin, our eternal life is a free gift given by God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We might have expected Paul to say, the wage of sin is death, but the wages of righteousness or obedience, or being a good person is eternal life. That would be the opposite, right? The wages of sin is death, but the wages of righteousness, obedience, being a good person is eternal life. But that's not what he says. He says eternal life is a free gift. It's free. We don't earn it. It's not a wage. We don't deserve it. It's not a paycheck we get for being good people. It's given to us as a free gift. It's not compensation for being a good person or doing good things. It's a, a gracious gift, undeserved and unearned, and we don't earn it because somebody else has paid for it. Jesus has paid for it. That's why all we can do is receive it, not show ourselves to be deserving enough, not showing that we've earned it. We just hold out our empty hands and receive it. It's a free gift coming from God's grace. So let's imagine we're listening to Paul teaching this. You know, We're sitting there in the first century and Paul's talking about this and saying, you know, the wage of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And right there we might stop and say, okay, wait, wait, Paul, just wait a second. So what you're saying is that regardless of my sin, regardless of my obedience, and regardless of whether I have kept God's law, I can be declared righteous. I can be declared innocent. I don't have to do anything. I can be a totally terrible person. And I can walk into God's law court being a totally terrible person, and I can walk out being declared innocent, righteous. And all, all I have to do is say yes to receiving God's free gift, and I'll just, it'll just all go away. There won't be any penalty for the wrongs I've done. God will just forgive me and forget about it. God and I will be totally good. There's nothing between us. And then Paul would say, yep, exactly. Which then should lead us to say, 
that just sounds too good to be true. How can that even be possible? And if that's what we're asking, then we finally understood and heard, heard and understood the true good news. Because if the gospel doesn't sound too good to be true, either we have not heard the true gospel, we've heard a false gospel, or we have not understood the true gospel that we've heard, we've either, if it doesn't sound too good to be true, we have not yet understood the gospel. And if it doesn't lead to these questions, we haven't proclaimed the true gospel. And when we finally see this too good to be true, there's two possible responses. A person who doesn't like rules will say, great, that means I can do whatever I want without consequences. Sweet. A person who likes rules will say, that means, let me try to get in that mindset, a person who likes rules will say, that means people will do whatever they want without any consequences. So you can see, if you don't like rules, you're going to be like, awesome, I can do whatever I want. But if you really like rules, you're going to hear, if people can be justified, if they can be righteous without following any rules, without following any laws, that means they're just going to do whatever they want. And so, you know, think about which one you're into. If people could just get off without any penalty for what they've done, people are just going to go crazy and do whatever they want. Just, who cares? Like, we can do that. So if you're concerned about that, or if you're thinking, ooh, that means I can do whatever I want, you're the person who doesn't like rules, or you're the person who does like rules. The Apostle Paul experienced both of these questions as he preached the true gospel in the first century. Uh, the gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And a British preacher named Martin Lloyd-Jones said it this way. He said, There is no better test as to whether a man is really preaching the New Testament gospel of salvation than this, that some people might misunderstand it and misinterpret it to mean that it really amounts to this, that because you're saved by grace alone, it does not matter at all what you do. You can go on sinning as much as you like because it will count all the more to the glory of grace. And that is a very good test of gospel preaching. If my preaching and presentation of the gospel of salvation does not expose it to this misunderstanding, then it is not the gospel. If a man preaches justification by works, no one would ever raise this question. So we know that we are truly hearing the good news, and we're truly saying it if people say, well, that means people can do whatever they want with no consequences. Exactly. They, it doesn't matter what you've done. You can be declared righteous. And if we're not getting that sort of pushback or that response in our hearts and our minds from other people, then we're not, we haven't understood the true gospel. But Paul addresses this in Romans 6. He imagines someone would ask these questions. And the basic answer is this. In Christ, we're not only freed from the penalty of our sin, we're also freed from the power of our sin to serve a new master, God. Jesus died and was raised from the dead so that he would be dead to sin and alive to God. And so now we too must consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God, living for God in Christ Jesus. And then Paul uses imagery of slavery. He argues that whoever or whatever we present ourselves to as obedient slaves is our master. And so he says, now that you've, you've died to sin, that's no longer your master, but now you're alive to God. Now you're supposed to present yourselves to God as your new master. And we're not supposed to be, have sin be our master anymore. We're supposed to have God be our new master. We've been set free. And so we see we've not only been saved from something, but for something. It's not just that you've been saved from your sin, so that you can just do whatever you want. You've been saved from your sin for righteousness. For, he talks about sanctification, which is the process of being made holy. For life with God. It's not God just gives us a free, you know, a free ride and then we just do whatever we want. But you've been saved for something, not just from something. 
to live for God. And he says, the fruit of sin as our master leads to death. But the fruit of God as our master leads to sanctification and eternal life. And then he writes Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So ask yourself, do I believe it's too good to be true? Do you believe your relationship with God is too good to be true? Do you believe forgiveness for your sins is too good to be true? Do you believe your salvation is too good to be true? You and me, a sinner by nature and by choice, have been declared totally righteous, totally innocent by the God of the universe if we receive this free gift that he offers us. He makes it clear not everyone receives it. He says, if you receive it, then it's true of you. You're, you're in Christ, but everyone who doesn't receive it is still an Adam. And our big idea is, I would, if I was to summarize these verses in my own words, would be this. Your relationship with God is an unearned, undeserved gift. And I'd encourage you to actually write it a little more personally. Write down, if you want to write it, my relationship with God is an unearned, undeserved gift. My relationship with God is an unearned, undeserved gift. And the opposite is also true. Your separation from God is an earned and deserved payment. Your relationship with God is an earned and deserved payment. My separation from God is an earned and deserved payment. But through Jesus, we can now say... My relationship with God is an unearned, undeserved gift. And sometimes we might talk about the impact that someone has had on our lives. We might be in a certain place and we might say, Oh gosh, I don't know where I'd be without this person. And that's exactly what's true of us with Christ. I don't know where I'd be without Christ. And in some ways we can say, I wouldn't know our, you know, that's kind of expressing like, you know, I would have gone down some really bad paths without Christ. But we also hear this verse, where would we be? The wages of sin is death. That's where we'd be. We'd be here, sin, condemnation, death, without Christ. And so do you believe that without Christ, the only thing you earn and deserve is death? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is your only hope? He's the only foundation on which to stand before a good and holy God. Do you believe that with Christ, you have absolutely everything you need? And I, I can feel like on some days, you know, I'm... I'm it's easy to feel pretty good about myself. Like, oh, I haven't had that bad of a life. I haven't done, you know, like some of these like super major sins. Uh, but do I still say, yeah, but I've been a constant sinner. Maybe I don't have a bunch of big ones, but I've been a constant sinner every single day of my life. And so we can think of sin, its badness as being like, you did that one thing really bad. Or you can say, you've done a ton of little or medium things a lot of times over and over again. And both of them you make us sinners by nature and by choice. This passage declares to us the glorious truth that the thing we've been searching for all our lives is something given to us freely by God. All our lives we've looked for something to relieve the angst we feel, to relieve the feeling that something's just wrong with me. I'm not measuring up. I'm falling short in some way. To I'm falling, letting down the other people. I'm letting God down. I'm letting myself down. I'm just... Falling short. I do not measure up. Something's broken in me. Something's broken outside of me, and I just can't fix it. We've been anxious and secure, we, and we've dealt with it by um, trying to work harder or be better or, or hide the true parts of ourselves that are you know, we just don't want other people to see, or we have coping mechanisms to ease the sense that we just aren't 
good enough. We don't measure up. And we find here that it's been available for free as a gift all along. And what is it that we really need to hear? We need to hear God saying to us, you are righteous. You and I are okay. In fact, we're great. I love you and there's nothing you can do to change that. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. And I don't only love you. I actually like you. I enjoy you. There's nothing between us. We're good. And that's what every, whether we can put it into words or not, that's what every single human heart is longing to hear. Because we all feel like we fall short. We're disappointing everybody. And that we can't get our acts together. We need to hear from God. We're good. You don't have to do anything to make us good. I've already done it. It's because of me. Every morning before our feet hit the floor, before we've done anything good or bad, we can know that we are good with God. And we can say to ourselves, what a privilege, I can't believe this. How how am I so blessed? How am I so lucky to be in this situation? Instead of being entitled or taking it for granted or uh, just having ingratitude, we can say, I've done nothing to deserve this. I couldn't do enough to earn it. And yet here I am, I'm just standing here, I'm good with God, I don't even have to worry about it. I can just enjoy it. Let's consider the bad news for people God has placed in our lives. Loved ones, family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, waitresses, baristas, cashiers. And let's make it personal. I just want you to take a moment and write a list of the people God has placed in your life. And who are people you see on a daily, weekly, monthly basis? And which ones don't know God? Or which ones you're unsure about? Write their name down if you know it, or if you don't, simply write what you know of them. Like, oh, my neighbor, or this cashier I see. You may not know their names. Just think about those categories of people. Who do you see every week? There's people you see, you know personally from this, you know, your mechanic. <coughs> cashier, just take a moment to write those down. Family, friends, neighbors, coworkers. I believe God has placed each of those people in your life for a purpose. That you would be, as we say in our vision, that we would show and tell the good news to them. That we would show them the good news by how we treat them, how we act, and we would have opportunities to tell them. We may never get the opportunity, but he's put them in our lives. And you could be possibly the only Christian they even know, or the only Christian they see. We need to ask, what is their reality without Christ? The bad news is that the wages of sin is death. Each and every one of them has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And as you look at that list, you would probably think about some of them like, yeah, I know this person's really messed up, and I know they could really use God in their life. Like, it's very obvious. Their, their sin is on the surface, and you can see it. 
But then you might have other people, like you know, a coworker or a neighbor or something, or a family member, you're like, but they're they're a really good person. Like they they aren't doing like these crazy sinful things and like they are living their life, taking care of their family, taking care of their house, and they're nice to me. I never see them being mad at anybody. You may think some people on your list are like these people obviously need Jesus. And other people on your list you might be like, Oh, I know they don't really go to church or like talk about God at all, but they're really good people. I think they might be okay. And some there's an old illustration of uh, if we're all to line up at the Grand Canyon, all of us in a row, every single person in the world, some people would be more athletically inclined, and they could jump further to try and get over the Grand Canyon than uh, somebody next to them. So some of us would have, like, oh, I'm not going to make it very far. And other people are like, I can make it pretty far because, you know, I've been training my whole life, been working really hard at this. But the reality is, it doesn't matter how good you are at jumping, no one's going to jump across the Grand Canyon. Everyone's going to fall. We're all going to fall short. And so the reality is, when you look at those people on your list, if they do not know Jesus, maybe they're a little better than the person next to them, but all of them fall short. None of them can actually jump across the separation that's been created because of our sin. They all need a bridge. And that's the way, uh, one of the ways you can visualize Jesus opened a way for us to re-enter into life with God. And we all need that. The reality is that without Christ, they're sinners by nature and by choice. They're under God's condemnation for their sins they've committed. They're dead in them. But God has given us really, really good news for them. You could not be hesitant. Think about this. You wouldn't be hesitant to tell a cancer patient, hey, there's a cure for your cancer. It's 100% effective. And actually, you don't have to worry about insurance because the person who developed it just wants to give it away for free. You would not feel like they're dying in their bed. I just don't want to be a bother. I don't want to tell them about this cure I know about. It was 100% effective. I don't don't want to annoy them. Maybe this is a bad time. You would just be like, guess what? I know you're dying here, but there's 100% effective free treatment for your cancer. It's, It's cured, and I can get it for you. And the best part is it's instant. Instantly, you will be cured of that cancer. And God has been preparing and is preparing some of the people in your life to hear this good news. He's been working on them through the Holy Spirit. He's been softening their hearts so that when they hear it, they're going to say, that's what I've been looking for my whole life. I felt like I'm falling short. I felt like I just can't get it together. And you're telling me I can be good with God whether I get it together or not? And I probably never will. You're telling me that I can be cured of this thing inside me that I feel is just eating away at me, that I just can't stop hurting people, I can't stop hurting myself, I can't just, I just have this feeling that everyone's disappointed in me, God's disappointed in me, I could never set foot in a church service because God would just strike me dead, that's how bad I am. And you can tell them, you know what, all that doesn't really matter because it's a free gift. You can be good with God right now. And this verse clearly tells us that our response to Jesus is a matter of life and death. That there's not some people that need it, some people don't, but our response to Jesus is a matter of life and death. And so I want to encourage you that this list you made, make it your prayer list. And put it, you can put it on a better piece of paper than you have here. You want to put it on a note card, you can put it in your car, put it on your mirror when you're brushing your teeth or um, someplace where you're like, you're just going to see it. It's like, okay, I'm going to take a moment to pray for these people. If you set an alarm on your phone that tells you to pray for them at a certain time, you'll pray for um, these people. 
And I would encourage you, memorize this verse and pray for the people on your list. And maybe you just want to write the verse down right now. I can tell you the words for it if you want to write it down. For the wages of sin, for the wages of sin is death. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You can pray. It's Romans 6.23. If you want to find it later. Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And you pray this verse for those people. Pray that they be awakened to the bad news that, oh, what I've earned is death for a lamb living. And pray that they would also be drawn to the good news of Jesus so that he has uh, provided for them. And this another opportunity, or I, kind of, I wanted to do this series because um, I feel like it's easy for us to drift away from the gospel, how good it is. It's easy for us to drift away from, you know, I don't know if anybody around me really needs this. So I want to, but we're going to be doing a series in the fall, I'll hand these around, called uh, Connected, and it's really about relationships. Um, and I've designed the series to be super helpful for us as a church, but also as a, like, what do people need help with that we can invite them into? Like, oh, like, I just feel like I'm give, doing them a service by inviting them to this. So, so the series is about our, our relationships in our life and how we can connect with uh, the very important people in our life and how we always want connection with you know, our moms, our dads, our, our kids, and friends and family, but we can often struggle to connect. Or it's like, how do I do this in this situation? So I encourage you, I'll pass this around. You can use these, you can give these invite cards to everyone on your list or someone on your list that I think would be good. You can also go to our like Facebook page and you can just share the event. It's already on our um, Good News Church Woodstock. You can share it as another way to uh, get the word out to people. And it's starting September 12th. I just want to end with this, what's true of us as a community. We are Good News Church. We are a people of the good news, people who live it, people who show it, people who tell it. We are Good News Church. That's why we're here. We're people who had earned and deserved death. And yet God reached down into our lives. He reached down into our mess. And he pulled us out of that. He pulled us out of this, the mess, of, mess we had made of our own lives. And he reached down into it and he pulled us out. So now we can say, this good news shapes all of who I am. It shapes my past, my present, my, my future, my eternity gone from death to life, not because of anything we've done, but because he's done it all. Your relationship with God is an undeserved, unearned gift. My relationship with God is an undeserved, unearned gift. Our relationship with God as a church is an undeserved, unearned gift. And God has brought this good news into each of our lives, and he's allowed us to believe it, and have a completely new relationship with him. And he sends us out to tell others, saying to them, you can have a relationship with God that is an undeserved, unearned gift. <clears throat> Let's pray. God, would you help us more and more to live into our name, that we are Good News Church, because this good news has come to us and changed everything about us. 
and you've also given it to us that we would bring it to other people. So Lord, would you fill us with deep joy and gratitude because of what you've done in our lives. And God, would you fill us with compassion for those who don't know you. Would you fill us with confidence that your gospel is the power of salvation for everyone who believes. Would you send us out with courage. In your son's name we pray. Amen.